Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. me, you had more to do this past week than you had time to do it. Can I see your hands? You had more to do this past week than those that don't have your hands up. I need to talk to you after the lobby and find out your secret. You have things, if you're like me, on a to-do list that you weren't able to get to. Anybody feel that? Some people strive for inbox zero. I've heard of that where their email has no emails in it. I've never accomplished inbox zero in my entire life. I do, though, I do read and respond like a normal person, read and respond to text messages. I can't handle the red bubble on the text messages that shows me I have unread messages. And I read my emails, but if I have to act upon them, I leave them in the inbox until they get acted upon, and I have my own little system of productivity that I do. But on text, I do. I, I deal with the text message right away. I don't leave that for later. If I read a text and don't respond, I'll forget to go back to it. I'm not one of those crazy people that has a text app that has like a hundred text messages unread. Like one of our assistant pastors, I asked him to send me a screenshot yesterday. He didn't know what I was going to use it for. I just said, send me a screenshot of your home screen. And there it is on the bottom right, 130, that gives me anxiety just looking at it. 138 unread text messages. How do you sleep at night? Every time I see his home screen, it messes me up. I'm not going to tell you who it is. His name rhymes with Bug McNane's. How many of you are like Brother Bug, and you have more than a hundred, or how many have a hundred unread text messages on your phone right now? Two hundred, five hundred, anybody like that? You've got crazy numbers. The reality is that all of us have more to do and more that we want to do than we have time for, don't we? So every year we sit down and look and maybe set some New Year's goals or resolutions. Every year we look at our lives, every month we look, maybe every week. If you're like me, you look at your schedule, what you're going to seek to accomplish that week. Every day you wake up and look at your schedule. And really, many times throughout each day, we have to make decisions as to what we are going to prioritize, don't we? This week, our church family had the incredible privilege, as you heard, to have, uh, I think it was 380 or 390 different children that were here throughout the week, an average of 365 a day, close to 400 children from ages 4 to 6th grade. Those precious souls were all here this week in the same place, hearing the same teaching, singing the same songs, memorizing the same Bible verses. But in 10 to 20 years or more uh, uh, from now, These children that just stood up here singing that same song will be in very different places in life. Not all bad, just, or good, but just different. They'll live in different places, they'll be working different jobs, they'll pursue different things. And there are many factors that go into where they'll be going and what they'll do with their lives in the 10 to 20 years. uh, I was looking at some photos last night at a a camp that I've preached for in the past that I'm preaching at this week, and and the the leader of the camp sent me a picture of our kids that when TJ, who's running the slides back there as a senior in high school, when he was just probably four or five, uh, uh, seven or eight, 
And I was with Pastor Sammy, and I said, I showed him the picture, I said, we were getting some tacos in Long Beach, and I said to Pastor Sammy, I said, just blink, and that's going to be Iz, his little seven or eight-year-old that's now going to be TJ's age. And those that have had kids of our age, you tell us, it goes quickly. And in 10 to 20 years, they're all going to be in different spots, and some of that is going to be based on, of course, their personal choices and things that they do, but this morning as we just finished a week of VBS, and many of us in here have children that were at VBS, a lot of the direction that they head and in the, the direction that they're pointed has also to do with the choices and decisions and priorities that we as parents set for them that we train in our homes. And this morning, I want to bring a message to you that I've titled, Parenting is Prioritizing. I understand, and I don't have time to give a bunch of caveats, I understand that every one of our children, I have, my wife and I have five children, every one of our children has a free will and a sin nature. I understand that. And they will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the decisions that they've made. And if you have children that have made choices to go in directions that have broken your heart or maybe that, that you, you, you just wish, maybe it's, a, that, whether it's their career or whether it's financial or whatever, and you look and say, I thought, you know, we would have trained them better than that, as parents, we can't cannot live in guilt and condemnation. But while God allows us that opportunity to rear and to train and to have those children in our homes, I want us this morning to take inventory, what are our priorities? Two weeks ago, we were in our series, we're going verse by verse, walking verse by verse through the book of Genesis. We're about halfway through. We were in Genesis 25 two weeks ago, and I brought a message entitled, Today's Priorities, Tomorrow's Path. We looked at Jacob and Esau. And two twins, twin brothers born into the same home, two very different outcomes in life. And we looked at some of those things and challenged us in our priorities. And really, this morning's message is going to be not an exposition of a passage as I would normally do when I preach, but it's really just going to be an expansion and an application from that message two weeks ago. The way this message will work for the next few moments, 10, 12 minutes, I'll lay a biblical foundation of prioritization. And then after that, uh, we'll give a four-part, four thoughts of an application, four principles for us to consider in our lives. By the way, you say, I'm here. The title is Parenting is Prioritizing. I'm not a parent. I'm not married. I don't have kids, or all my kids are grown. The truths we're going to look at today are things that impact every single one of us every single day and decisions that we'll have to make. So I hope you won't tune me out here as we look at this. But I said two weeks ago, today's priorities determine tomorrow's path. Today's priorities determine tomorrow's path. Well, uh, one famous kind of business in business books is that idea, sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, uh, reap a destiny, something along those lines, with the idea being what we do today has great impact in our lives for good or for bad, positive or negative, down the road. And our priorities today help direct and point our path tomorrow. And so this morning, as we close out our VBS, I want all of us to think in here and to lock in as we look at this. To begin by way of introduction, I want us to understand a few things from Scripture regarding priorities. God in His Word established a God-given order and God-given priorities from the very beginning for His people to follow and to find blessing as they followed Him. Think back to his children as he, we're in Genesis, Abraham's come out, he's the father of Israel. We're just getting that nation of Israel started in our Sunday morning series through Genesis. Abraham, and now we have Isaac born, um, and, and, and then we have Jacob born, just got, was just born in our study. And very quickly it's going to turn from a family 
to a nation. It's going to multiply. And what did God do to govern that nation of Israel in Exodus 20? He gave them how many commandments, church? He gave them? That was not a trick question. How many commandments did he give them? Ten. He gave them ten commandments. And what did he say, the very first commandment? Would you read it aloud? It's on the screen there. The Bible says, ready, begin. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods. That's commandment number one. What is God saying? There's a priority to this thing. I want you to have the right priorities in your life. And God is saying the number one priority should be me. Don't put anything above me. We often think of idol worship like maybe um, lighting incense to something or maybe some golden statue or some silver. An idol in our lives is anything that takes the place that belongs to God. And God says, I don't want anything in your life to take the place of me. I want your worship. I want your allegiance. I want your love. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. From the beginning, the very first commandment for his people, he said, do you remember when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt and and God was going to redeem them through the death of the firstborn? What did he say? He told them to take what kind of a lamb? A lamb without blemish or spot. What was God teaching them? He was teaching them, I don't want your leftovers. I want the best that you have to offer. Other times when they would go on an annual basis to the tabernacle or the, te- or the temple to offer animals as a blood sacrifice, it was a picture of the blood that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would shed for your sins and for mine. When, when they would go to offer these animals, often it was the firstborn. I want your first. I want the one without blemish, the spotless one. I want your first, and I want your best. And God was teaching them about priorities. What did he tell them after he delivered them out of Egypt? A picture of our salvation. Exodus chapter number 13, verse number 2, he said, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. What is God? God didn't just arbitrarily choose this for his people. What is he teaching? He's teaching the importance of priorities. I I want you to have your priorities straight. All through the Old Testament for his people. You read that whole chapter of Exodus 13, and you'll see the symbolism of God getting our firstborn, of prioritizing him. I want your best. I want your first. When the Israelites were to bring sacrifices, we saw that. All through Scripture, what is the teaching? God deserves and desires our first and our best. I want to challenge all of us this morning. How are our priorities? Is God getting, it's, it's not a real Bible exposition today, which is 99% of the time the way that I would preach. It's more of a devotional challenge. Is God getting our first and our best? Or is God getting our leftovers? What priorities for those of us that have children in our home, what priorities are we setting? What did Solomon say in his book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs? He said in Proverbs chapter number three, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the what, church? With the, with the what? First fruits of all thine increase. Then what does he say? So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. This is not give money in the offering plate. You'll get rich this week. I don't believe in a prosperity gospel, but I do believe in a provision gospel. 
God does take care of his children. The psalmist said it this way, I've been young and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. But what does he say? Solomon says, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Why? I think one of the reasons, one is because it's a symbolic thing of saying, God, you have all of me, and if I, I can't give you all of me if I don't give you my first and my best. But I think it's also uh, probably set up because of human nature. How many of you have said, all right, tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to, and whatever it is, I'm going to work out. I'm going to go on a run. And you wake up, 10 more minutes is all I need. 10 more minutes, then I'll go on a run. And then 10 more minutes, and then 10, and I got no, you know what, I'll do it at lunch. I'll do it at lunch. Or maybe it's reading your Bible or reading a book or whatever it might be. Okay, at break at work, I promise I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that thing. You know what, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. Okay, right when I get home, I'm going to do it. Right when I get home, and we get home. I just need a little bit of a break, just a breather. I'm going to do this. Then I'll do it right before dinner. You know what? I'm, I'm kind of hungry. I'll be more energized after dinner. I'm going to eat dinner. Then I'm going to go on that walk. Then I'm going to go on that run. We eat dinner and we're like, I'll do it tomorrow morning. Anybody? Human nature, am I right? So when we don't give him the first, often we don't give him anything. Well, I'll give it to him later. I'll do it later in life. I'll get serious about these things. No, what is Solomon teaching his son? He's saying there's a blessing that comes to those who give God first place in their lives. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. There's a blessing that comes when we give God first place in our lives. God doesn't want to be a compartmentalized piece of your life. Paul said it this way, Christ who is our life. He wants all of it. He wants to have first place. I've mentioned this before as this idea of first fruits, but Tiffany and I have our giving, our giving automated to come out every uh, week and to the church here, to our, our tithe, to the general fund, and then our missions giving, and then our capital campaign and staff housing giving that we're doing. And that comes out, and I've told you this, I personally, I set it up so that it would come out at 12.01 a.m. every week. Why did I do that? It's a symbolic thing for me. God, you're getting the first dollars of my week. And then when I go to church to gather with God's people, and I know that church is a people, not a place, but when I gather together with our church family, God, you're getting the first day of my week. Now, I want God to get all of it, but he's not going to get all of it if I don't give him the first. And, and it's symbolic. The first emails that I see when I open up my smartphone to start a week are four different deductions of our auto giving to this church. Why? God, I want you to have the first fruits of my life, our time, our money. You know what I found? When you get your priorities right in these areas, other things follow. Give God the first of your day. Give God the first of your week. Now again, give God all of it, but give God the first of your finances. It's all His. As believers, what day do we gather? As believers together at church to worship. What's today, church? What's today? Again, these are not trick questions today, all right? I'm trying to, trying to throw some softballs. Sunday, thank you. It's the first day of the week. Sunday, why do we gather on the—now, the Old Testament talks about, remember, the Sabbath, which would be Saturday, the last day of the week. Why do we gather on the first day of the week? A couple of reasons. One, because it's the example we see in the New Testament. Why did they gather on the, New Test on the first day? Because it's to celebrate and commemorate the resurrection of Christ. What day did Christ, the first fruits the Bible calls him, what day was Christ resurrected? He, he, he rose again on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so we as believers, we gather uh, on not just, we don't only celebrate the resurrection on Easter, we celebrated the resurrection as we sang, O Glorious Day. 
Every Sunday we gather, and one of the reasons it's on Sunday is a reminder for us. One, we're giving God the first part of our week, but we're also, we're also remembering His resurrection. What did Paul tell the Corinthian church in the New Testament in this idea of priorities with day and with, with finances, with our budget and our schedule? Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by in Him, by Him in store as God hath prospered Him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul said, on the first day, be gathered together, schedule, uh, adjust your schedule to be together with your church family. Corinth was a carnal church. Corinth was a church that was only about their own pleasure. It was a church that was about their own sin. And he said, you need to gather together as a church on the first day of the week, and then you need to come and worship God through your giving, your budget and your schedule, your time and your money, and give God the first. God doesn't want our spare time and pocket change. He deserves our first and our best. He doesn't deserve our leftovers, Christians. He deserves all of us. Spouses, how many of you in here, you want your spouse's leftovers? They've given everything they have to their kids, to work. And by the way, this happens at times in a marriage. But they've given everything they have to themselves, to their, their hobbies, to their priorities, gone to work with the kids. And finally, your spouse gets all your leftovers. If that happens for very long, you're not going to have a very healthy marriage. Why? Your spouse is supposed to be the closest human relationship on earth. Do your, does your budget and schedule does your time and money reflect those priorities? What did Paul tell the Colossians, Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in how many things, church, that in how many things? He might have the what? Preeminence. What is preeminence? It doesn't say he might have a top priority. Preeminence is the first place. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the firstborn. Again, you see this priority language all through Scripture. God trying to set the priority for His people. Follow my priorities and you'll live a fulfilled, blessed life. Don't get your priorities out of whack. All through the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Israelites, the believers, the Christians, uh, the Gentiles, all of them. And He says that in all things in the church, He might have the preeminence, the first place. A lawyer came to Jesus asking Him, saying, uh, of the 600 plus laws, which one's the most important? What's the highest priority? What did Jesus say? The lawyer said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Isn't it interesting? I've mentioned this before in our church. So the first priority, the first there's 600 laws, and by the way, they're really hard to keep track of. It's a burdensome life to try to live the Orthodox Jew life of trying to follow all 613 laws in the Old Testament. Really hard. I've been there on Sabbath day where you can't push a button on the elevator because that's working on the Sabbath. You can only take so many steps. You've got to count your steps. It's a hard life. And so the lawyer comes and says, now there's 613. I don't know if I can keep them all, so like which one's the most important? And he says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's an interesting little qualifying phrase, as thyself. Because he could have just said, love your neighbor. But if he said, love your neighbor, what could we have done? We then get to decide what that means and what that looks like. We get to quantify that. But when he says, love thy neighbor, why did he say? He didn't say, love your neighbor as you love chocolate. 
He didn't say love your neighbor as you love ice cream. He didn't say love your neighbor as you love football. He said love your neighbor as thyself. Why would he say that? Because you know what our normal priority is? I love myself most. I love others next, and then I give God, if I believe there's a God, I give God what's left. And Jesus said, don't worry about 613 laws. Worry about getting your priorities straight. Love me first with everything you've got. Love people the way you love yourself and put yourself last. And if you'll do that, your life will be an amazingly fulfilled, joyful, fruitful life. Again, how do most of us live and what does the world teach? Love yourself first. What did Jesus teach? Love God first. What does the world teach? Find somebody that makes you feel good and then love them. What does God teach? Love people the way you love yourself. We could continue with more scripture passages, but I I think you get the idea all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see the teaching of what our priorities should be, the importance of priorities. God deserves our first and our best. And so my question to us this morning is, is that what he's getting? Or is our career getting our first and our best? Is our family getting our first and our best? Is our hobby getting our first and our best? Is a friend getting our first and our best? Anything that takes the place that belongs to God is an idol. Notice I listed in there our family. I love our five children, but did you know my five children can become an idol if I put them in the wrong priority in my relationship with God? They can keep me from being the Christian I should be if they're out of priority. Our spouse can become an idol. Our career can become an idol. An idol is that around which we center our worship. And I said this two weeks ago, but if you want to know what your priorities are, don't just tell me. I can tell you the right list. My priorities are, I'm a pastor and a Christian. My priorities are God first, Tiffany second, five children third, our church family, my extended family, fourth and fifth, somewhere in there. My friends, I, I could give you the right list. You want to know what my priorities really are? Check my budget and my schedule. Find out what I give my time and my money to. That's what's most important to me. Our time and money tell the story of our true priorities. Our time and money tell the story of our hearts. That is the biblical introduction of prioritizing. Now the practical application for this message. Parenting is prioritizing. Parents, what you and I value most will determine our parenting choices, will impact our family schedules, will direct our children's educational choices, will affect our commitment or lack thereof to a church family, and the list goes on. Your priorities as a parent speak volumes to your children about what you believe really matters. It's been said, who you are speaks so loudly I can't hear what you're saying. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. What is your life, your time, your, your, your money, what is it telling your children really matters in this life? And by the way, the priorities we show as parents deeply impact our children's personal choices and priorities. So let's take a look at some of the things that are out there clamoring for our family's time, money, and resources. Things that you and I will have to decide that we will or won't do. And by the way, every one of the things I'm about to list are things that are either a part of our personal lives in our family, or they're, as I was thinking through this, or they're a part of lives of families that I know and love in our church and school. Every one of these. 
Let's think about the different priorities that clamor for our time, our attention, our resources. I, I said, number one, church services. Friday night lights, flag football, tackle football, junior guards. Any kids in junior guards this summer? Any of your families had junior guards this summer? Junior guards, kind of a, a thing here along the coast in Huntington and Newport and other spots. Piano lessons, Christian education, homeschool education, public education, family prayer and Bible reading, summer sports camp. Coding camp, cheer camp, basketball camp, baseball camp, church team camp, church junior camp, it's a camp for everything. Swim lessons, little league, violin lessons, soccer. Some of you are like, oh, I forgot to sign up for that. You're on your phone right now, signing up for something. <laughs> Volleyball, a chess club, esports. Anybody here, anybody here not know what esports is? This where was this when I was a kid? This is a team. You get to play video games for your school, and it's a team. And like, you win trophies. My mom was telling me not to play video games. Now I can say, Mom, I'm practicing for my team. <laughs> Kids this generation have it so great. Kids point classes on Wednesday here at our church. Youth group. Family meals. That's where families sit together around a table and eat together. That's a family meal. <laughs> Gymnastics. A high school job. After school tutoring. Club sports, youth sports, high school sports, tournaments, swim team, travel ball, band, dance, ballet, boy scouts, pro sports season tickets. Let's just see if you could, if you have, if you were to buy them, how many that would be the angels? That would be the angels you'd be buying. All right, we've got one angels fan. All right. How many of the Dodgers? It would be Dodgers if you were buying some season tickets. All right, a few more Dodgers fans. How many of you would be the ducks? Ducks. I know a guy, all right, if you've got some questions about getting some season tickets, see, no, right over there. Chargers! Definitely not the Rams. We know it wouldn't be the Rams. Be the Niners. You might be Rams just so you could watch the two Niners games. Pro sports season tickets, ROTC, family vacation, serving at church, summer preaching series, vacation Bible school, personal sports training, voice lessons. Trying to see if he's going ahead. Oh, good job. I was trying to fake him out, see if he would do the next one. Science camp, hockey league, video games, movies, social media, Disneyland season passes, surfing, hiking, sailing club, robotics club, and the list goes on. I'm tired just looking at that slide. By the way, that's not like I Googled what do people do. That's things that are in our lives or families I personally know in our church and school. And I, I know I missed some. That was just me sitting down thinking for like seven, eight minutes. Here's the reality. In our lives, we have to understand there is more to do than we're ever going to be able to do. And we have to understand which, by the way, on this list, which one of those is sinful? I, I don't think there's anything inherently sinful about anything up there. I don't think there's any one of those that any of us would say is a wrong thing for our children or our family to be involved in at some point. I don't know that there's anything up there. Maybe there would be, I have to go back and think through it, but that I would have a personal, you know, strong conviction against. I'm not sure that I know sincere, committed Christians involved in every one of those things. Many of those things on that list are part of our family. Nothing wrong necessarily with any of them, but any of them in the wrong place can be a problem. Parenting is prioritized. 
baptizing, I want to give you four brief thoughts. Number one, on this idea, because we're going to have to look, and the list could go on, we're going to look at all of these things that could be a part of our families, and we're going to have to decide what matters most. What are our priorities going to be? What paths are we, what values are we showing our kids what matters most in our lives? It's not enough to say we're a Christian family. If you're a Christian family, does your budget and schedule show you're a Christian family? Is there any prioritization towards, towards Bible reading and prayer with your family? Is there any prioritization towards generous giving, towards service, towards helping others, towards the, the events of your, your local church, if you're a part of this church or you go to another church? Where are those priorities? Let me give you four thoughts, four brief thoughts. Number one, determine what you're aiming for. Here's what I figured out. Keith, I see you and Gloria right here. When I got here, your kids were like elementary and junior high, and now you're done. And we're, we're moving behind you quickly. We've got our third one graduating. Here's what I figured out. It feels like by the time you raise them, you kind of just started to figure out what you're actually doing. And it's like, that you're learning. This is new for all of us, and there's no such thing as perfect parents. But the time with our children is so short, what priorities are we setting? God has entrusted those children to your care. What are his plans for them? They are not experiments. They are eternal souls that will live forever. Our time with them is short. Knowing what we're aiming for will help us make decisions about things like which school they should go to, what activities they should or shouldn't be involved in, what relationships we should or shouldn't allow, what things we need to teach them in their short season under our care and leadership. What are you aiming for and what am I aiming for? If I told you that I was aiming for my son to have a full ride football scholarship and then you said, well, what team does he play on? Oh, he doesn't play on a team. Well, who's his trainer? Doesn't have a trainer. What league is he in? He's not on a league. Well, when are you going to start one? I'm not. Guess what you would tell me? He's not getting a full-ride scholarship. It's not happening. My son's not going to play college football if he never picked up a football from zero to 18. If if that's my priority, if that's what I'm aiming for, then guess what? We're going to have to make some commitment in our family for workouts and for practices and for games and for leagues. You've got to figure out what is it that is your priority that you're aiming for. And and again, not necessarily, I'm not saying you decide at age four, well, my kid's going to this college to study this degree, to go here. Let God guide them. But in terms of the priorities of the type of person you're seeking to raise, the character attributes you're looking for. Do you know what you're aiming for? For Tiffany and me, our parenting priorities could be summed up in three short statements that drive everything else that we do and the decisions we make, and we are not perfect parents. I want to make that clear, and the story of our children's lives has not been written, and even the part that has, has its bumps and bruises. But here's our parenting priority, our prayer, my daily prayer for our kids, number one, that they would come to know him. They would come to know the God of the Bible, that Jesus would be their personal savior. They would get saved. And at this point, all five have made a profession of faith in Christ as savior. That is our highest priority, that they would embrace, that they would become Christians, that they would become uh, uh, believers. Number two, our priority is that they would grow to love him. I don't just want our children to know him as savior, I want them to know him as friend. I don't just want their 18 years in our homes to be a list of religious rules that they abided by. I want them to fall in love with the God that I serve. I want them to have a personal relationship. I want them to find the joy that it is to learn to read God's Word and for God to speak to them and to pray and to to love their church family and to find some of their best friends in their Christian community. I want them to love being a child of God. I don't just want them to have made a profession of faith at a VBS and then there's nothing else in their spirit 
spiritual development for the rest of the time they're in our homes. No, I want them to know him, but then I want them to love him. And then our prayer is that they would live for him for a lifetime. Now, I realize that much of that is out of our control. We're not going to decide our oldest just turned 21 this past week. We're not going to decide what they do when they turn 25 and 30 and 35 and 40. And I'm sure that there are going to be days of great victory and days of great defeat ahead in all seven of our lives if God should tarry in His coming. But that's our prayer. And when we know that's what we're shooting for, that metric, and it's very simple, but it helps us to make all of our decisions. What we are or aren't going to be involved with. Who who is or isn't going to be our closest influences. What we will or won't watch. Where we will or won't go. The things that we will or won't do. That target influences and informs every decision we make regarding our family's priorities. If that is true, that I want them to know the God of the Bible, for Jesus to be their Savior, it would be foolish for me to enroll my children in a Muslim school. Be foolish. And by the way, if your goal as a parent was that your child would grow up to be a devoted uh, Muslim, it would be foolish to put them at Newport Christian School. Because that's, we're not on this, we're not aligned in the same purposes. That would be foolish for me based on my priorities. It would be foolish then to never teach them the truths of the Bible, to live a life in complete disagreement with God's Word. Why? It is highly unlikely that a child in a home like that is going to choose to know God, love God. Now, it could happen, but it's far less likely and live for Him for a lifetime. Beyond those three priorities, Tiffany and I, we seek to discern the God-given personalities, interests, gifts, and passions that God has given each of our five children, and then encourage them in those endeavors. It's not a cookie-cutter thing. For Ashlyn, on the, on the less spiritual side, that meant more sports and coaching. For Annalise, that means more glitter and unicorns <laughs> and art and all of that. And all five kids are different. And so we seek to see how God created them and where God's leading them. And, and again, we're open to, to counsel. We've not arrived. I seek counsel often in our parenting. But the famous business author and speaker Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. Determine what you're aiming at. By the way, you don't have children. You still in your own life need to determine what you're aiming for. What, what, why did God put you on this earth and what are you seeking to accomplish? Determine what you're aiming for. Number two, second thought in parenting is prioritizing. Number two, you're going to have to learn to choose between good and best. We think that prioritizing is about getting rid of the bad things in our lives and it's between good and bad, and it can be. But the problem with that is that if it's only between good and bad, then anything that comes along that's good, we do. Well, that's not bad, so what's wrong with it? Let's do it. But prioritizing is often not about between good and bad. Often in our lives, prioritizing is about good and best. And I'm faced with two options, and this might be good, but is it good for our lives, for our marriage, for our family in this season? It's not only, it doesn't matter if it's good for another family in that season, is it good for us? And is it best, not just good, is it best for us? Prioritizing is often about choosing between good and best, not just is this a good thing for us, is this the best thing for us right now? A volleyball tournament might be good. It might be nothing wrong. I've sat in stands as my daughter played in volleyball tournaments. But if the volleyball tournament falls on the same week as, as maybe a junior camp, then we have to look and say, okay, both of these are good. Which one is best for our family? And you don't have to answer to me, by the way. 
My kid's not going to junior camp in two weeks. We're going to be out of town. So if your kid's not going to junior camp, this is not a passive-aggressive sign up your kid for junior camp thing. My kid's never gone to junior camp, all right? It does not work out in our schedule. We've only done it like twice, and it didn't work out last summer and this summer. But, but we look at, I just use that as an illustration, we look at these things and say, with our resources, we have a limited, finite amount of time, we have a finite amount of money, we have a finite amount of years to train. We look at those things and say, with, these, with this finite time and money, resources, what is best to use for our lives? I'm going to make a shocking statement right now. You ready? You can't do everything. Can you say that with me aloud? You can't do. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but somebody here needs to hear this. It's okay that you can't do all of the stuff that everybody else is doing. That's okay. And you don't need to do everything. Your kids are going to be okay if they don't speak three languages, tap dance at an elite level have a full-ride scholarship to Harvard, and have sold their first business by their 11th birthday. They're going to be okay. I promise. American culture in general, and I would say Orange County culture even more specifically, puts a huge amount of pressure in these areas on are we keeping up with what everyone else is doing. Here's the thing. Everyone else doesn't have the same priorities that Tiffany and I have for our kids. So I don't care if we're keeping up with what everyone else is doing. Everyone else isn't going to answer before the judgment seat of Christ for how they raise their family. So I don't care what everyone else is doing. You're going to have to learn to choose between the good and the best, not just the good and the bad. It's okay that you don't do everything. Take that pressure off yourself to keep up with every other Orange County family that seems like they have it all together. They put their kids in every possible extracurricular activity. Their Instagram feed is the most amazing thing. By the way, often Instagram doesn't tell the story of the life. We look at everybody else's highlight reels while we live our blooper-filled lives, and we sit there thinking, man, I didn't do that, and I didn't food prep, and my kid didn't get that kind of a lunch, and we didn't have him involved in that. Oh, they weren't a junior guard this year. I guess my kid's probably going to get eaten by a shark. Like, I didn't teach him how to swim off the pier. It's all right. If your kids did junior guard, great job. If your kids didn't do junior guard, it's okay. It's all right. You don't have to do everything that everyone else is doing, and, and not always, but often, those that you think have it all together, their lives are a mess. I know, because at times, I deal with them, and I'm working with them, we're trying to help them, and I'm talking. I spent about an hour at a Starbucks a week ago with someone in this spot. They're frazzled, and they're exhausted. Their marriages are strained. It's been weeks since they've sat at the dining room table for a home-cooked meal. It's been months since they opened the Bible together and learned of the things of God. Their debt is piling up because they're trying to keep up their image. They're empty inside, and they struggle with guilt because their nanny knows their kids better than they do, and you're looking at their life and saying, I want their life. No, you've got to decide what is God leading your family to do. Don't just ask if this is good. Ask honestly, is this best? Number three, realize that every yes is also a no. Realize that every yes is also a no. Against my wife's wishes, a couple weeks ago, I said yes to Friday Night Lights for Trey, our youngest son, for the fall, flag football. Actually, I did it even worse. Not only did I not just say yes and sign him up and come home and inform my wife, I did something even worse. I asked him in front of her if he wanted to play. Can I help you, husbands? Don't do that. 
I said, hey, Trey, what do you think? Do you want to play on your team that you've played the last three seasons with that you guys just came like fourth in the whole Orange County? It's really fun. Dad gets to live his dreams through you, and I get to, <laughs> I get to feel like, man, I'm a good football dad. Hey, Trey, do you want to, you want to do that? And my wife looked at me. We haven't talked about this. No, no, we're not. We're talking about it right now. <laughs> Ryan, why do you bring this up in front? Don't do it. We didn't talk. Ryan, I told you, the fall's going to be very busy. We've got... We've got TJ senior year, we're going on that trip. You're preaching out of town on that Sunday. You've got this. Ryan, we need to look at the calendar. So Trey, what's it going to be? And Trey said, yeah, I think I'll play. And so do you know what that yes means? That yes, and, and by the way, we enjoy it as a family. We have fun doing it. But that yes means when, when we said yes, when me and Trey, against my wife's wishes, said yes to Friday Night Lights, you know what we also said? We said no to our family sitting down for a family meal at home on any of those eight Friday nights in the fall. Or going out to to a movie or a game night or having a family over for for a time of fellowship. We said no to all of that for eight of our Friday nights this fall. And if nine for the playoffs and ten for the championship. (laughs) My wife's getting madder and madder as I continue to preach right now. Here's the reality. Every yes is also a no. What are you saying no to with the things you've said yes to? For 23 years, my wife and I have said yes to our family being at church when the doors are open. That means we've said no to some other hobbies, activities, and opportunities. Like you, we've said yes to living in Orange County. That means we've said no to mosquitoes and humidity and tornadoes and hurricanes and snow and cold. We think cold is like when it gets 58, 59. That's cold. We think hot is like 86. Man, it's really hot. We also said yes to higher housing. We say all these things are a no, right? Every yes is also a no. So what are you saying yes to? Number four. Number four, and I'm done. Decide on your non-negotiables. Parenting is prioritizing. There's a big list of scores of things you can be involved in. I didn't even put up there ice skating. We've got a competitive ice skater over there. There's all kinds of things we could have put on. You're going to have to sit down and determine what you're aiming for. God's entrusted those children to your care. What what would bring him honor and glory with our leadership of these kids? Then you're going to have to realize I have to choose between good and best. I have to realize every time I say yes, I'm also saying no. And am I saying yes to the right things? And am I saying no to the right things? And number four, decide on your non-negotiables. Family time, church time, time to serve. What's your non-negotiables? I heard one pastor say, he, he was a pastor's kid, by the way, and he said, my parents drugged me as a child. And I thought, what? He said, my mama drugged me to church on Sunday morning. She drugged me to church on Sunday night. She drugged me to kids' class on Wednesday night. I would say some of our families could use a little more of those kind of drugs. What are our non-negotiables? You know we all have non-negotiables. For those of us that have school-aged children, on Tuesday, September 12th, where where will our children be? Probably every one of us, our children will be sitting in a classroom of some sort, in a home school, a public school, a charter school, a Christian school, a private school. Why? Because we've made the education of our children a non-negotiable. This, is, this, is, this matters enough to us, 
against our kids' better wishes, kicking and screaming, we're going to wake them up every morning, force them into the car, force them to school, force them to do their homework. Why? Because we view their education as a non-negotiable. Where will most of us be? Where will you be tomorrow? Most of us except me. I'll be on a plane with my family to Hawaii to preach a teen camp this week. Someone's got to do it. And so while I'm toiling away in paradise, preaching seven times to teenagers, where will you be tomorrow? Most of you will be at work. Why? Because it's a non-negotiable. Why? Because we like a place to live, and we like food to eat, and we like a car to drive, and we, we like to use our lives to make an impact in someone else's life. And we'll be at work this week. Why? We've made that a non-negotiable. There might be something that comes up where you take a day off or you get sick, but for the vast majority of our lives, for our children, school is a non-negotiable. Work is a non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable for us. Why? Because those things matter. Working, going to school, and our schedules and our budgets reflect those priorities. Our priorities dictate our budget and our schedules. For my wife, we've set up some non-negotiables in our schedule. I've mentioned that. We've set up some non-negotiables in our budget. For 23 years, we've given a minimum of 10% of our gross income to the church. It's been a non-negotiable for us. We did it when we owned a home. We did it when we lived in a dorm room apartment because we had lost our home. We did it when we had multiple investment properties. We did it in the housing crunch when we lost all of those to short sales and we had nothing. We did it. There were times, it's been a long time, but there were times I can remember payday was in five days. There was nothing in the fridge and there was nothing in savings. And that week we gave 10% of our gross income to God. For us, that's been a non-negotiable since we got married. Why? Because we want our first fruits, our first day, our priorities to reflect what we say is our faith. You also, by the way, have set up non-negotiables. There are certain things you pay for every month. Your cell phone is a non-negotiable. You're going to pay the bill. Your housing, your car, your insurance. We all have non-negotiables in our budget and our schedule. Here's my question. Are your priorities matching what you say, your, your, those things, are they matching what you say are your priorities? I close with something I saw on social media this week. The South has been referred to as the Bible Belt. How many of you heard that term, the Bible Belt? Greg and Kelly, you, you live in Texas, the Bible Belt, I heard one pastor say, the Bible Belt needs to be belted with the Bible. They're not quite as Bible Beltish as they used to be, right? But for a long season in America's history, the Bible Belt, the, the South, there was, I was shocked coming from California when I went and visited my dad in North Carolina, shocked to see a Baptist church literally on every corner. And every dirt road you drive by is a sign for a Baptist church down that dirt road. I, grew, I was saved in a Baptist church, so I grew up in a Baptist church. So I would notice, and it wasn't only Baptist churches there, but North Carolina is filled with Baptist churches. Well, coming from, from the Bay Area of Northern California and Orange County, we have like three million people and like eight Baptist churches. They have eight in one block. It's multiplied Christians and churches. I saw this tweet this week from a pastor who serves in the Bible Belt. I don't know this pastor, but he serves in Amelia Island, Florida. Here's what he said. He said, the Bible Belt isn't as much a Bible Belt as it is a, let me devote 97% of my kids' lives to sports and other extracurriculars they won't even think about once they finish high school belt. What is this pastor saying? He's saying, parents, how are our priorities? 
Do our priorities match what we say matters most in our lives? The things that we're sacrificing the vast majority of the short period of time we have with these kids in our homes, are those things going to matter at all in their lives 10 or 20 or 30 years from now? Are they going to matter at all when they stand before the judge of the universe? Parents, when we stand before Christ to give an account for our priorities and our parenting, what is he going to say? What path are your priorities pointing you and your family down? My challenge to you, and again, a very unique way that I approach Scripture this morning, really just giving you some some scattered thoughts and verses, like I can't remember the last time I preached in this manner, but it's really a devotional challenge, kind of an application from our message two weeks ago. How are we doing in our personal priorities? What path are we pointing the God-given souls that God's entrusted to our care that we'll give an account of? By the way, you don't have children? You're going to give an account for your life as well. Your time, your resources, your relationships, your energy, your priorities. Are they going to matter 15, 20, 30, 40 years from now? 4,000 years from now in eternity? Let's make some changes if we need to. Let's prioritize the eternal in our children's lives over the temporal. Whatever that takes, whatever changes we need to make, we're not going to regret that in the long run. And by the way, if it's going to happen that we're going to to, we're going to pattern the eternal or point our children in eternal purposes and fulfillment, we're going to have to first internalize that for ourselves. Very often, I'm not, I understand kids can, but very often kids are not going to go somewhere that we've not gone first. Very often our choices and our decisions and our habits And our priorities inform who they grow up to be in big ways. The apple doesn't fall far from what? The tree. There's a reason that that idiom exists. Parenting is prioritizing. Have you let your priorities get out of whack in your marriage? Have you let your priorities get out of whack in your home? When was the last time you prayed together? When was the last time you opened God's word together? When was the last time you did an act of service for a neighbor? You did something for someone that could do nothing for you? When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone or invited somebody to join you in church? It's kind of hard to invite them to join you in church if if you don't know if you're going to be there next week. How are our priorities? I'm not, this isn't a try to guilt or condemn anybody. This is a challenge to all of us. The time is so short. These children are so precious. And we're going to stand before God for the priorities that we set in their lives. They'll stand before God for the choices they make as they leave our homes. But we'll stand before God for the priorities we set while they're in our homes. Parents, maybe some of us need to take inventory and make some changes. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.